You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Outdoor Edge in their complete lineup of knives and game processing kits. These guys right now are doing an absolutely huge giveaway where you could win an elk hunt and not just any elk hunt. We're talking about a seven or eight mile horseback ride into the backcountry. We're talking a one-on-one guided hunt. You're going to be sleeping in a wall tent and you're going to be doing that for five days with the founder and CEO of Outdoor Edge, David Block. Now, if you've never been on an elk hunt before, I'm telling you right now, go sign up for this because if you ever hear a elk bugle, whether it's at 400 yards or it's at 40 yards, it is a life-changing experience. So here's how you enter. Go to OutdoorEdge.com. There's going to be a big banner for it somewhere on their homepage. All you have to do is click on that. Go fill out some information. I think your name, your email address, maybe some other stuff. And that's all you have to do. That's how you are entered. They're going to be picking a winner oh, a ways from now. So you have plenty of time to enter. Go visit OutdoorEdge.com. Sign up today. And if you decide to purchase any products from the website, Enter the discount code NATION30. That's the word NATION with the number 30 after that. No spaces. NATION30. And you will receive 30% off your purchase. This is the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. Brought to you by Vortex Optics. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. Dude, I am so excited, almost to the point of physical arousal, that uh, my hunting season kicks off in five days. And am I ready? Absolutely not. Uh, We've been doing a home remodeling project at our place, and one thing after another just keeps popping up. And uh, maybe a little bit of procrastination, maybe a little bit of home remodeling, maybe a little bit of having three kids and trying to run a business and not having the time to do all of it in one day. So something's got to sacrifice. Uh, I've, I guess I've sacrificed packing for this hunt. So in the next five days, I have to pack, get all my gear together, pack it up. Uh, I have to go shopping for food. I got to get water. I got to do a whole bunch of different things. But I am excited to go to South Dakota and chase mule deer. Ugh, fired up. Fired up, boys. And uh, 
hopefully you guys are fired up too. We got an awesome podcast today. We're going to be talking with Chase Prince. You may know Walter Lee, his cohort in crime from the Chasing Tales podcast. Uh, Chase is the uh, is one of the guys who is on that podcast as well, and uh, he's a Florida boy, and he drew an Iowa tag this year. So this is kind of a, a podcast where we talk about two completely different worlds when it comes to whitetails. We're talking about Florida where there is little to no terrain. And we're coming to Iowa where it is the mecca of whitetails. If, if you live in a different state, I don't care what state you live in, I have a good feeling that someday your goal is to draw an Iowa tag. And uh, we talk about his expectations. We talk about what it's like to hunt Florida. We talk about um, the, the differences between the two states. I mean, they're, they are big differences. But it's just a fun podcast comparing two different places uh, with the same bow hunters, right? I've never hunted Florida. He's never hunted Iowa. And uh, it's just a good conversation about, about those two states and uh, our good buddy Parker McDonald over at the Southern Ground Podcast. He told me in an interview that he thinks some of the best bow hunters in the country come from Florida because you have to be a good bow hunter in order to get close to a deer in Florida. And uh, I kind of, uh, you know, he makes a valid point. So, but he's going to come to the land of giants and hopefully he gets a crack at one of them. So it's a really cool podcast. Anyway, today we have a commercial, and that commercial is Wasp Broadheads. Now, I have been, I'm a big believer in envisioning success. And what I mean by that is closing my eyes, I imagine myself drawing back, releasing an arrow, and watching it connect with its target. And I've been doing that a lot lately and envisioning like picking up a, a red tipped wasp broadhead and having it covered in blood on a mule deer that I just connected with in South Dakota and uh, wasp not only are they, are they made with the best possible materials but they're American made as well and to top it all off the people who run the company and work there are participants in hunting so it's not just a company that makes broadheads it is a company that makes broadheads for bow hunters bow hunters hardcore bow hunters at that so it's a really awesome company and uh, this year when i go out to south dakota i'm going to be i know i've been preaching the fixed blade a lot but i'm kind of flipping this year and i think i'm going to be running well i don't think i know i'm going to be putting on the jackhammers that's a mechanical three blade uh jackhammer this year and uh man i just cannot wait to start the stock drop down in on a buck let the arrow go connect hopefully that's all hypothetical right um a lot can happen in between all of those all those scenarios but awesome awesome the tip of the arrow is what kills the deer right a lot of other things help kill a deer too but the tip of the arrow the broadhead actually kills the deer so um, if you want a, a broadhead that you can trust, wasparchery.com. Take a look at their fixed blade and their mechanical blade options. And if you want to save 20% on your purchase, you can enter the discount code 9FINGERS. That's the number 9, followed by the word FINGERS2020. And you can save 20% off your purchase. So let's get into, into today's podcast with Chase Prince three two one 
All right, on the phone with me all the way from Florida today, Mr. Chase Prince. Chase, what's up, man? Hey, Dan, how are you doing? I'm doing good. We had a little, we had a little bit of a, a, a mix-up. I, I reached out to the Chasing Tales Instagram page, and I thought I was communicating with Walter Lee the, this whole time, and you and Walter do the Chasing Tales podcast, and I was communicating, I thought I was communicating with Walter this whole time. And he's like, Hey man, uh, I'm coming to Iowa or however that worked out. And it was, it's actually you who's coming to Iowa today. So it's going to be the same questions. Just I'm talking to a different person. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's funny, uh, that Walter Lee and I actually met because we were both on your podcast about three years ago or so. No shit. Really? Yeah. Yeah. That's how I was on your podcast back. I think it was like 2017, somewhere around like March or something like that. And he was on a little bit before that. And I think he saw the, or listened to the podcast that I did and kind of reached out to me. And then we started talking back and forth. And then a couple of years later, uh, he started a podcast himself. And then I ended up joining him about a year after uh, he started the podcast. Oh, cool, man. So we actually met through your podcast. Hey, not to brag, <laughs> not to brag, but I've been showing the, uh, the South some love for a while now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You have. I, I actually uh, listened to that podcast you did with, uh, Parker, um, today. Oh, cool. Awesome. So l- let me ask you this. Cause I want to talk about this, uh, this expectations for Iowa. Um, but tell me a little bit about what it's like to hunt in Florida. Where, where do you live in Florida and what is the hunting like in Florida? The deer hunting. Okay. I, I live in North central Florida, um, pretty close to Gainesville, Florida, which is home of the Gators. Yes, sir. And, um, hunting where I'm at is probably some of the best in the state. Um, there's about five or six counties in the state of Florida where most of the big bucks in the state come from. And if you went and looked at our Florida has like a big buck registry and in our, for the top 10 for like non-typical and top 10 typical, um, you'll find uh, Alachua County, which is the County that I'm in uh, probably in there the most. Okay. Um, maybe not at the top, but in the top 10, there'll be two or three of each uh, from our County. Gotcha. So the hunting's actually not bad. We've got bigger, um, deer in this area. And I would uh, contribute that to, uh, some agriculture that we have soils, probably uh, a little bit better. And, um, so we do have some of the better deer in the state where I'm at. Gotcha. What's the ag in your area? Well, it kind of all depends. We have a lot of peanuts. Um, sometimes they'll do some corn. Uh, we also have a lot of, uh, watermelons, um, in this area. And do deer eat watermelon? Uh, they don't eat, I don't think they eat the watermelon. I think they eat on the stuff like on the vine and stuff, uh, as the watermelons are uh, coming up. I gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, in, oh, I think it was 2012, I shot, yeah, 2012, I shot my heaviest buck ever. It was probably just over 300 pounds. on on the hoof all right so then i go to alabama um or before that i went to alabama and i i saw something run across the road and i'm like oh man i I almost hit that dog and (laughs) then i look at it closer and it was a white-tailed doe like that's how small 
this animal was. So what are we talking about as far as body size of a mature buck in Florida? All right, so that's going to range a little bit. Um, where I'm at, uh, early season, uh, I've shot bucks that weigh 195 pounds. That's not field dressed, but that's just total weight. Uh, around 195 pounds um, is some of the bucks that I've killed. But for a majority of the state, you're going to see a lot of uh, like a mature buck be around that 150 to 160 uh, range. Um, and then if you get down to South Florida, um, you're looking at maybe 120 to 130 uh, for a mature buck. Gotcha. So <laughs> I don't know why, like Florida is such a, a unique ecosystem for deer to live in because um, down, down South, don't they have some, some herds have a July rut. So their rut has already passed. Yes. Down in uh, South Florida, uh, that's our zone A because Florida's divided in zones. We've got four different zones and their season started August 1st. And we talked to uh, somebody on our podcast and opening day, he said they were already full out rut uh, opening day down there. Wow. That is crazy. Crazy. Yeah. And for some reason I just have this, I, I envision a guy just like huffing through the swamp, fighting off these <laughs> these invasive pythons in order to get to a tree stand. I just this cra- just like these crazy thoughts go- run through my head when I hear, "Oh yeah, I hunt Florida." <laughs> right? Yeah, you got your pythons. You got uh, Florida's got a gamut of things. So you got pythons. You got alligators. Uh, tons of snakes. Uh, bear. Um, so we've got all kinds of things <laughs> down yeah. here that uh, people have to deal with. South Florida is like a jungle, though. I mean, it's kind of even separate from where uh, I'm at on all the stuff that they have to deal with down there. Uh, we don't really have the pythons uh, up here like yeah. they do down there. So where you hunt in, you know, the the Gainesville area, what's the terrain like? Just flat as can be? Yep, I would call it pretty much flat as a pancake. Uh, Dan, um, you're, I mean, if someone says like, Hey, there's a little Ridge or something right there. I mean, you're talking about maybe feet of elevation, (laughs) like maybe a couple of feet or something. Now we do have a few little like hilly areas here and there. Uh, but as far as a norm, it's just flat. Gotcha. So, and then when is your rut? Uh, my rut where I'm at, uh, I mean, cause Florida is weird. So you can have ruts that, uh, span, from like I said, anywhere from August through uh, almost the end of February, but where I'm at, there seems to be a consistent kind of maybe m- mid October um, through kind of mid Novemberish area, and depending on what area of the county you're in. Now I did I shot a buck at last year on a quota hunt uh, down here uh, in the kind of the eastern portion of the county. And he was attending uh, a doe uh, September, I think it was like September 26th is when I shot him. And he was with a doe already. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, he was a real nice buck. Um, I think he scored 128. Okay. He was an 11 point. So big, big and it was on public. I mean, it was a, it was a public quota. So <laughs> it, it was a stud for down here. <laughs> yeah. So let me ask you this. Like, when you go into a season down there in Florida, what are your expectations? I mean, do our guys holding out for bigger deer or are a majority of the guys, let's just call it an average Joe. Uh, is he shooting the first animal that walks by his stand? 
Uh, I think you have a, a mix, it, and a, a lot of it kind of depends on if you're hunting public or private down here. Um, for an average Joe on private, uh, he's probably holding off because of, I mean, everybody's got uh, trail cameras now and cell cams. So uh, I think a lot of them now are kind of holding off a little bit, especially on the private side. But for public, uh, not holding off as much. I mean, if it's legal, a lot of times it's it's going down. Right. Okay. So what 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 do the parcels look like? Are they small? Are are we talking in under a hundred, over a hundred, bigger? What's the public like down there? Break us, you know, give me the breakdown of the the public versus private mix. Okay. Well, I mean, if we're talking about Florida in general. Um, we do, we have some, uh, huge, uh, I would say some huge management areas that you would say are 60,000 to a hundred thousand acre tracks, um, depending on where you're at. And, um, we have some that are smaller that that'll range from 2000 to 10,000 tracks, um, for the, for public. And Florida's kind of weird because we don't have a ton of like what you would consider just walk on public. Like you can't hunt it the whole season. Right. Um, a lot of these parcels are quota hunts, which you have to put in for prior to the season and draw for them. Okay. And they'll range anywhere from like a three-day hunt to maybe a 10-day hunt that you can uh, pull off of some of these quotas. And the quota hunts are generally your better hunts um, because they're not getting that pressure. They're limiting the amount of people that are there. They're limiting the amount of days uh, that people can hunt. So you'll find a lot of your better deer on these quota hunts. And a lot of the bigger management areas allow, uh, dog hunting once that comes into season, which is usually our general gun season. Um, so you'll get a lot of, uh, that where, cause Florida has a bunch of, uh, dog hunters yeah. and, uh, you'll, you'll kind of have to deal with that, <laughs> uh, during the, uh, the gun season. And that's usually just your, it's a lot of those big, huge tracks of land that are just pine tree uh pine trees for days and like no real terrain nothing really to kind of uh funnel deer or anything like that so that's where a lot of the dog hunters are at on those really big uh tracks of land as far as private um we have there's or obviously you can get permission to hunt people's properties uh florida has a bunch of what i what we call like hunting clubs Mm -hmm. where you have um club memberships where there's so many members and you know, it's usually off of like uh, timber company leases. Like they have big tracts of land and they'll lease it out to, uh, to hunters is a majority of those tracks. So your private could range anywhere from whatever. If you got a little five acre piece that you're hunting to, uh, I hunt a couple of pieces. One is where my father-in-law kind of has permission where we can hunt. It's probably a 400 acre track. And then I also have a uh, club that I'm in. It's, it's just convenient. It's right by my house. I mean, it's a five minute drive and I've been in that for uh, about 13 years now. And it's about a thousand acre track where there's about 10 guys uh, in that club that, that pay dues to hunt there. Okay. Yeah. That seems to be kind of standard throughout the South. Uh, these, the hunt clubs, you know, Texas all the way through Georgia down into Florida. Um, in the Midwest, you don't really find that as much like a, a quote unquote hunt club. You, you find leases where guys will go in on a lease, but not the, the club, so to speak. And, and, uh, I was talking to a guy out of Texas 
And I think I talked to a guy out of Georgia how, and their, their quote unquote hunt club was kind of broken down the same, you know, like the guy who, <laughs> the guy who's been there the longest gets whatever piece of little property he wants. And then the newest guy gets basically last pick every single year of where he gets to hunt. So if you want to hunt and you're going to be in this club, you're getting the scraps, so to speak. Is that kind of how your hunt club works? Yeah, for the most part. Um, I mean, we have, it's, it's an area where you get, they kind of have it where you get like two primary areas basically. And, uh, at least for, um, the gun, season because not everybody bow hunts um so we kind of have some rules about okay you have your two primary areas and you're you're not supposed to go with it or and you get so many like little acres of that primary area and then you can kind of float around if you want to if if you're not as long as you're not in somebody's primary area uh that they call it but yeah usually the ones cause i've been in there for 13 years. So, um, I've got my couple of areas and then anybody new comes in just gets kind of what's, um, left over. I gotcha. All right. So the other, the other thing that really intrigues me and to be honest with you, it's something that I don't think I would ever want to do all the time, but the more I think about it, the more I would love to go on a, a dog, a deer dog hunt. You know what I mean? Um, right. I heard that they are very chaotic and the dogs just go bananas and, you know, it's just, it's really fast paced and whatever. Um, now in Iowa, it's legal to party hunt, which, you know, you got a group of guys start at one end of the property and they push a draw and then we've got the guys at the other end of the property who we call them posters and they'll post. And anything that runs by them is what they shoot. So the, the drive will go through. And then if, as the deer run by, these people will shoot them. Have you ever been part of a dog hunt before? Uh, no, I have not been a part of a dog hunt. Um, I know people that do it. Um, I just haven't ever uh, gone. And uh, we actually did a uh, podcast with somebody that came on and talked about uh, dog hunting and the culture and uh, all of that um, recently. But I mean, it's something I would would like to go do maybe one time or something, but it's not necessarily something that I would be, uh, that I would just do every year or anything like that. Yeah. Um, it it's, just uh, doesn't appeal to me. It seems like there's a split between sportsmen about the use of dogs. I, you know, I, on here on the Sportsman's Nation, we have another podcast called the Houndsman XP, and it's uh, a group of people who love, absolutely love using dogs, whether it's for, anything from bear to mountain lions to raccoons to deer like it's uh, it's all about using dogs to hunt and um it seems like there is a split between sportsmen like some people say well i don't like it some people are okay with it what's the obviously there's a culture for it down there but what is the what's the census do more people hate it or do more people love it down there <laughs> yeah that's the uh, that's the uh, the tricky question um in uh, down here uh it seems like there's i mean there are dog hunting leases down here and then you've got your your public areas that they can run dogs and we'll have like still hunt areas and basically dog areas that were they're marked on the uh the map or the brochures for the hunts down here 
And it seems almost kind of like a lot of guys are kind of 50, 50, uh, at least the ones that don't dog hunt. Um, either they, they really don't care or they just rather there not be any dog hunting for the most part. And I think a lot of the times where you'll kind of run into issues maybe is if maybe the dog hunters are kind of creeping up on where the still hunting is and maybe messing up the hunts for the, the still hunters, or at least they think they're being messed up. Yeah. Um, and I think that's where a lot of it kind of comes in. Uh, I went up hunted with uh, Walter um, this past uh, January. It was late season because uh, in his area, the rut's kind of like January, February time in some of the areas that he's in. And we were hunting on a uh, management tract and we were on a, it, we're kind of in the still hunting side. Well, it's kind of towards the, the end of the um, dog hunting uh, season. And from what I can gather is like, when it gets towards the end, the dog hunters don't really care that much about where their dogs kind of go. Um, because if, if they're in those areas, they kind of get like a warning the first time. So when it's at the very end of the season, they're going to take uh, chances and kind of run their dogs through uh, some of those areas that they hadn't been able to run through uh, all season. And we went, we were going for an evening hunt and it was kind of, this area was definitely still hunt, but it kind of bordered dog hunting. And uh, there were some people that had already dropped dogs uh, in that area and they kind of saw us going in there and I don't think they were too happy about us uh, going in there. We ended up actually just leaving um, because we realized that the dogs had been running in there uh, already. And I think that's kind of where you'll get some of that divide is if uh, they're kind of the dog hunters are kind of encringing maybe on some of the, the still hunting side. I gotcha. All right. So Florida, I mean, you know, uh, last or earlier, t- the, the episode that launched today, which is we're recording this on a Monday, Parker said that some of the best deer hunters in the country come from Florida uh, because it's it sounds to me like it's tough to hunt there. What makes Florida tough to hunt? Uh, I would say that a lot of it's kind of like a monoculture. Like, like, like we were mentioned earlier, where there's no real, there's nowhere to really funnel, um, deer. Um, and a lot of these big like management area tracks, uh, there's no agriculture. So like getting on a bed to food pattern or anything like that's kind of difficult. Um, cause we've got browse pretty much year round. Everything stays green. Um, so the deer can kind of um, move through the woods kind of any way they want to and browse on things. And if you don't really have acorns dropping or anything like that, you don't really have like a destination food source, um, that they're going to all the time. Um, I think they get a lot of their water, I think through that vegetation. So I've tried hunting, uh, like water sources in Florida and doesn't really seem to pay off. I've put cameras and things on them and they hit them so sporadic. Uh, that it's not necessarily even worth uh, hunting over and it's just thick everywhere so it's really hard to define like bedding like up there you probably have a better definition of what uh, bedding is uh, like in the midwest Um, because once the crops come down then there's really only so many places they can bed up there from what i gather um, here, we don't really have that. It's just you can go into these big blocks of woods that are super thick and there's no like defined bedding. Um, so it's kind of hard to if you if you don't really know exactly where they're bedding and you don't really know exactly where they're feeding, 
uh, a majority of the time. Uh, I think that's kind of what makes it uh, tough. Okay. A lot of pressure from people. Uh, there has been, uh, it seems like there's been a lot more pressure here uh, over the last maybe five, six years uh, on public land, for sure. Um, there, there is that pressure. Um, and I, I hear Walter hunts a lot more public than I do. I hunt public down here, but I've also got private that I can kind of fall back on once all that pressure um, gets there. And uh, he tells me about uh, a lot of the pressure up where uh, he's hunting at so gotcha i i think it just kind of depends on where you're at yeah all right so florida is not the same as iowa right <laughs> uh no. for, for for many reasons but you have drawn an iowa t uh tag this year for archery and my question to you is how many years have you put in for that tag uh, is I'm going with a buddy of mine and we put in four years. We bought uh, preference points for four years and then we applied this year to go. Okay. One of the Southern units on the Southern part yeah, of Iowa? Zone five, zone five. Zone. So it's Southeast Iowa, I think. Oh, zone five. Okay. Yep. That's the zone, zone that five. I, that's the zone that I hunt most of the time, I think. Pretty sure. Okay. As a as a yep. resident, I don't ever look at the non-resident zones, but um, <laughs> right. But cool. All right. So let me ask you this, and I I you you're in it, right? You get to see the big deer that come out of Iowa on Instagram. I'm sure you consume <laughs> some of the um, the Iowa or the Midwest hunting content. So you know that there's a chance that something miraculous could happen and, and a 200 inch deer out of the blue could could potentially and this is realistic walk by you during the rut and you there's a there's a chance that you could get a uh a shot at a deer bigger than you've ever seen before in in florida right so yeah <laughs> and I, i'm gonna preface this this question by saying that when i'm i'm getting ready to go to Michigan, uh, in mid October to hunt Michigan. And, you know, although Michigan may or may not, depending on who you talk to, uh, probably isn't as good of, of a hunting, uh, bow hunting, uh, situation as Iowa is. I am daydreaming every single day about, Oh dude, it would be so cool to kill the Michigan state archery record or, you know, just like <laughs> these crazy thoughts run through my head if I could do it. But now that you've gotten the tag in your hand what what's been running through your mind about hunting Iowa <laughs> yeah you're right I mean I for the last four years obviously I've been paying attention to Iowa a lot more just because we've been putting in for preference points and <laughs> uh, trying to get that tag that kind of everybody wants to get for the most part to go out because that's what we call the mecca uh, for uh, deer hunting is uh, Iowa. And I mean, I've talked to the, cause we're going to be hunting private when we come out there. Yep. Um, we've got access to, uh, I think three or four farms up there um, from a connection uh, that my buddy has in Iowa. And we've seen, like we've seen his wall, what he has on his wall, uh, some of the deer that he's killed. And I think last year he shot like a 184 uh, up there. 
So, I mean, obviously I dream of like, okay, yes, there's going to be this huge like booner uh, step out, uh, perfect 10 point. I mean, I just want to kill just like a perfect 10. I mean, 160, 170 class, but that would be uh, awesome. Um, but I know that that's probably not highly likely, but it could happen. Like you mentioned, a 200 incher could step out because it is Iowa. And I think zone five is one of the better zones uh, in the state for uh, hunting there. Cause I know it took at least four preference points to uh, be able to hunt there. But I mean, for me, uh, obviously I'd like to kill something that's kind of a, a decent rep or representation for Iowa. I know if I, I really don't want to go out there and shoot the first like 130 inch 10 point or something that steps out. <laughs> that's not really why right. I put in for an Iowa tag. I mean, in all reality, I could sh sh maybe shoot a 130 class in Florida. I mean, that's a huge buck for Florida, but I could do it. So I don't necessarily want to go out there and shoot something that I possibly could do in florida um but anywhere i mean i would be super thrilled with anywhere in that just 150 range yeah it, uh, that, that's kind of what i have in mind is just a nice 150 inch buck um to be able to to take while i'm up there and bring it back uh to florida that that's kind of what i have in mind and obviously i'll daydream more uh as time as it gets closer <laughs> and closer obviously i'm super pumped I've, we've, I've been talking with my buddy a bunch and um, he's one of those guys that's kind of like just always excited and everything's a huge deer and <laughs> all of that good stuff. So uh, I think it'll just be fun going out there with him and listening to his stories every day about how he saw a 200 incher that was probably really 160 inch deer. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I, I, my goal and what I would love to have happen is to, to at least get somewhere in that 150 range. Yeah. So are you think, are you taking age into uh account here or are you strictly going for hey if this buck with big antlers walks by me i'm gonna shoot it uh yes more the latter okay and the uh nothing's the wrong with that um and i honestly it's gonna me going up there to know what like a mature buck for iowa is uh is gonna be tough yeah um, for that, obviously they've got huge body sizes, but I mean, coming from a state where you might kill 160 pound deer to where you could kill a 300 pound deer, <laughs> it's going to look a little bit different <laughs> to me, um, for sure. So yeah, as far as maturity, I mean, the, the, the place where we're hunting, the guy doesn't really, he, he's not like he's restricting us or anything. He's not like he, he, he knows we're from Florida and could mess up obviously. Um, but uh, he, he, it's not like he has any restrictions and he told us kind of that 150 range is common there. Is that the case? Yeah. I mean, depending on, I, I'm, I'm, I hunt zone five, right? So you put your time in, you're going to see something you're going to be able to see how many days are you dedicating to that hunt? Um, I think we're going to dedicate somewhere around eight or nine days of actually hunting there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and are you going the first week of November or the second week of November? I wanted to go the second week of November. Um, and I was just from, I think I contacted you on Instagram trying to ask you of like best days maybe to come up there. And I actually talked to a few other people as well. And they were kind of mentioning that second week um, time frame. But uh, for like time constraints, my buddy um, has to be back a certain day. Okay. And so we decided more we're going to come out 
the first week of, of November, but we'll still be hitting that second week some with the eight or nine days that we'll be out there. Yeah. Um, so we'll probably hunt, start hunting around maybe the second or third of yeah. November. I'll tell you what, this is, this is what my trail cameras have showed me. This is what my past experiences have shown me, but yes, if you have a deer pegged, uh, let's just say a, a big mature buck pegged, um, you, you catch him on trail camera, you know where he's at, you know what little zone he's running, then it's, you know, you can do the same thing anywhere in the United States and get on a deer, right? If you have him pegged, right. you know his little circuit. But when it truly comes to a mature buck being tired and dumb and horny and making the worst possible mistakes a whitetail could make, it's going to be that second week and third week of November. I'm saying the the five to seven days before Thanksgiving is when I my trail cameras catch the most daylight pictures of four-year-olds and older in, oh, wow. in that time frame. Now, sightings of deer overall go down, but that it's like the does aren't getting you know, pushed around the timber as much. The three-year-olds have kind of had their, their, their share of the rut, but the big boys and all bucks are still up on their feet looking for that last doe. And that's when out of the blue, a, 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 just a complete giant that you've never seen before shows up because, because he's, he's three properties over looking, running a, a route that he runs maybe twice a year. And He's, he's going to go check, you know, Hey, I remember this from last year. I'm going to go through here and yep, I'm done. And then goes back. Maybe he sticks around for a day. Maybe he sticks around for two, but, um, that's, that's my experience. What is the, what's the neighborhood like in, in, you know, on the farms, are you hunting in, uh, uh, an ag timber split area? Is there a lot of managed farms in the area or, or is it mostly ag? Uh, it, it seems like there's maybe one that's kind of mostly ag and then a couple of them that are split uh, where you've got timber um, or some maybe CRP. And um, yeah, I think there's one that has kind of a mix of all. It's got some CRP. It's got some ag near it. And it's got like a um, hardwoods where there's a creek running through it. Um, and I think there are chunks anywhere from, I think, maybe... 40 acres to like 120 acre chunks that we'll be hunting out of the, the four spots. Um, so yeah, from what I've been told, I've seen a couple of the properties on, um, Onyx, but I haven't seen all of the, the properties yet uh, okay. on Onyx. A lot of what we're going to be doing is, uh, kind of, I mean, the guy that we're going up there with, uh, obviously he's up there all the time and he knows the properties. Well, he runs trail cameras, uh, on the properties so he can give us a good idea and he doesn't this the fortunate thing is this gentleman doesn't bow hunt um he's strictly uh, gun hunts up okay. there um so he's and actually he actually got us another property to be able to hunt because he said it would be a, a lot better for uh bow hunting um and and that was the one that has the mix like say you got crp you've got ag fields that kind of surround it and uh, a creek running through it with hardwoods. Gotcha. Man, that's cool. Um, yeah, so what I will say is there you're going to be tempted 
probably the first day or two. If, if you, you know, this is me knowing nothing about how you hunt or me making a, uh, an assumption on how quote unquote good of a hunter you are. If you can read sign and play the wind and, and make decisions based off of, you know, sign terrain and, and all that stuff. But if you're halfway decent and you're have the ability to be mobile, you're going to be tempted real early in that hunt with the biggest deer you've ever seen, you know, compared to Florida standing at 20 yards broadside and it's going to, it's going to suck, but I'm going to say, don't shoot it. <laughs> right. And I'm not joking because if you want that 150 caliber, um, you know, that's, that may take a little bit more time. You know, everybody has this assumption that there's these giant deer behind every tree in Iowa. And unfortunately it's just not the case. Um, unless you are hunting a very highly managed farm in a very good neighborhood. Um, hell, even in the last, you know, other, other than the one big dog that I, I saw last year at a long distance, I didn't see a 150 class deer last year from, from the tree stand. Now I had him on trail camera, but I didn't see him from the stand. So it, it takes some time to get into the right position, find them and be patient. Because what I will say is every single year that I've ever hunted Iowa, I have had, and let's say I didn't shoot a deer. I've had encounters with what you're talking about. So it's, it's definitely possible. Yeah, and I've uh, I've actually I've been out to uh, Kansas once on a hunt, and I kind of did the thing you're talking about, like the first like 125 inch eight point that came, and because in Florida when you when you're thinking about the rut, I mean we do see a lot of chasing and things like that, but they're not really responsive to calls for the most part. Some are, some aren't. We, I mean, I never rattle uh, in this state. Um, very rarely do I pick up my grunt call. And I was up in Kansas, uh, saw a buck cruising this ridge. It was like the first night. <laughs> hit, hit the grunt call. Buck came on a string straight to me. I uh, shot him like at 15, 15 yards. And, uh, I mean, it was big body, big antlers. I think I just kind of got caught up in the moment. I'm like, oh, this looks like a pretty good deer. Obviously bigger than mostly what I'm ever going to shoot in Florida, right. uh, especially with a bow. So shot it. And it was around like 120-something inch. <laughs> eight point and uh for the rest of i went and sat because you could i think you could you could still take a doe and i was kind of doing like some observation hunts and stuff for my buddy because i was hunting up there with a buddy of mine and we were up there for seven days so uh, obviously i'm going to go sit for the most part i may not be pulling any all day hunts or anything but uh, i was still going to sit and the very next morning i had like 140 something inch 10 point walk five yards underneath my stand yeah <laughs> Yeah. Well, and the cool thing about that is just enjoy the rut because I haven't, I haven't ever whitetail hunted other than Nebraska. And it was early, it was in September. Uh, still I was on a mule deer whitetail. I was going to shoot whatever, but so I, I, I haven't ever experienced a rut in another state, but what I will tell you is from what I understand, you know, talking to, to the guys from, Florida or Alabama or Pennsylvania or Michigan, it's different. It's, it's not the same, whether it's because of pressure or terrain or whatever the reason is Iowa 
is in in early November, if you are a whitetail hunter, is an absolute magical time of the year. And if you can catch a day or two where it's going bananas in the woods, it is it's something to just as a whitetail hunter just to sit and observe. Be, whether right. whether you know whether you're going after a deer or just sitting and and it's so different. It's going to be so different for you, but it's going to be everything you had expected it to be. You know what I mean? It, it has the potential to blow your mind. Oh, I know. And I think uh, a lot of the reason maybe that the, we don't see that kind of like you do uh, up there in Iowa is our buck to doe ratio is so off. Yeah. And we, there's so many does compared to the bucks that you, they don't have to fight a lot because they basically, there's no competition for the most part for a doe. <laughs> and I think that's a lot of the main reason. Like I said, we'll see a lot of the chasement stuff, but never really the, the fighting or responses um, that I've seen just from watching like YouTube or videos of, Oh, there's a buck cruising guy picks up his rattling ant- antlers and the buck starts coming in on a sh- string or a grunt or anything like that. So uh, I'm looking forward uh, to maybe getting some of that action that I just never see down here. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be awesome for you, man. I, uh, I'm going to wish you a whole bunch of luck. I'm going to send good vibes your way and, uh, <laughs> hopefully, uh, you get the job done, man. I, are you, are, uh, are you excited? <laughs> Dumb question. <laughs> Dumb question. Oh yeah. Of course. Of course I'm excited. Uh, I've been excited like since, since I got that tag in the mail, cause uh, they send you the tag in the mail and, uh, just me and my buddy have been going back and forth. Um, as each day gets closer, I get more and uh, more excited about it. And I've kind of, I have been less excited maybe about my Florida season this year as it is to like, okay, Iowa, I've got Iowa to look forward to. So anything that happens down here this year, um, I'm not as worried about because I know I've got that trip, uh, for November and I've just heard how magical it can be. Yeah, absolutely, man. Well, I wanted to keep this podcast relatively quick and short. So again, good luck in Iowa. Good luck in Florida. Um, you have any other trips planned this year? Uh, well, if we have some luck in, I, like if for some reason we go and we tag out like in the first four or five days of Iowa, um, there's a place that we're going to stop uh, in Missouri on okay. the way back. Cool. We've got a place to uh, stop back by there. But I do. I, do you mind if I ask you a couple of questions? Yeah, go about for it. Iowa real yeah, quick. Go for it. Um, before we cut off. Okay. So, how important are thermals in Iowa? Because we don't really. I don't really have to deal with thermals that much down here. Yeah, I guess it just depends on the terrain, right? Certain parts. Okay, zone five. It's pretty much going to be your fingers, and your. Uh, you know, your fingers leading into ag, your, your timbered fingers coming into CRP, uh, they can be, they can be very important, but this isn't like heavy mountains where, um, thermals rule. I would say that prevailing winds rule and, but those prevailing winds can be heavily influenced by terrain features. So let's just say you have a finger that leads into our CRP field that may be, wide open timber, right? It's not as thick. That prevailing wind's going to be able to easily push, push, uh, push the, you know, your scent out that the end of that finger. However, your thermals will just carry your scent high, higher, uh, as opposed to lower, but the prevailing wind will still win that battle. If that makes sense. Okay. So, yeah. um, now 
take that with a grain of salt because if it's a really low wind day and it's let's say like a heavy frost day sun's coming up and it is crystal clear outside one of those high pressure days your scent's going straight up in the air i mean it's one of those days where you can you know and again a lot of it depends on the prevailing wind but you have the the opportunity to sneak in back door someplace and be almost undetected other than your ground scent coming in. So um, it's something, you know, I'm going to say prevailing wind. If I was going to tell you to pick one or the other to be real careful about, I would still stick with prevailing wind. Okay. All right. And how about calls? Uh, Do you call during the rut? Or is it like a visual thing for you or do you blind call? Yeah. How do you, how do you do that up there? Yeah. So <laughs> I used to back in the day, be that guy who was like, let's just, let's crack the antlers together and make them warm. Like just rattle as <laughs> loud as humanly possible. These days it is only visual calling. So if I see something, uh, I may try to call at it depending on what it's doing. Like if it's going away from me at a good clip, then I, you know, I probably won't call. However, I have called more mature bucks in to range. And I, I say range very carefully because not all of them have come in to it and have presented me with a window for a shot. But a grunt call one time, if you see a buck out of range and you just go, Burr, that has brought more, just a single one grunt has brought them more big bucks into range for me than any rattle or any long extended grunting uh, session has ever done or will ever do. Okay. And then, you know, the other thing is don't be afraid, afraid to snort wheeze. Um, Especially if you see a deer, you know, that, you say, okay, I wish I could shoot that buck and he's too far off and he's making a scrape. Watching body language is huge because if they're, you know, if they're really aggressively raking a tree or they're making a scrape, that means they're trying to prove something. Hey, this is my scrape. This is my tree. This is my area. And you throw a snort wheeze out and that's it. They get, unless they've just recently had their ass beat, it can, it can bring in in 2012 that happened to me I, I tried rattling at a deer nothing i tried grunting at him he looked back nothing uh and then he started laying a uh he was raking his antlers in a tree and i just went something that simple he turned around he stopped and he's on a string came right to me and i, I shot him <laughs> and now he's on his on nice. the wall so uh <laughs> it was one of the coolest encounters i've ever had with a whitetail where I used a snort wheeze to, to get them into the, uh, get them into shooting range. Okay. Um, and then here's a final question for yeah. like, say your setups. Okay. Um, are you setting up in locations where you could sit all day or are you setting up maybe like in a morning location, kind of close to bedding and then maybe moving later to more of where feeding may be, or how, how do you, how do you generally pick that? Yeah. It just depends. Like, so this past year, I put myself into position on this ridge where it was just a huge funnel on this farm. And I would get there probably an hour early and I would stay until the deer movement kind of stopped. And some days that was 1130 or 12 o'clock where the, the deer kind of just stopped 
stopped moving through. Um, I'm not an all day kind of guy, but I'm not hunting field edges ever. So I'm putting my position into, I'm putting myself in a position that the morning or the afternoon, you know, I, I don't typically look at a hunt as an all day thing because throughout throughout a rotation right so let's say it's an afternoon what are the deer going to do they're going from bed the does are going from their bed to their feed and the bucks will be behind them or ahead of them waiting for them right so i'm not sitting in one spot all day long because i feel that there are spots within that bed to feed pattern that trump and all day sit so for me i'm really looking at okay, morning hunt, coming back to bed, I'm going to be downwind of this bedding area, right? And once they get into that bedding area, if they get past me or if uh, a deer, you know, all the does have kind of funneled by me, well, I'm not going to sit here all day and wait for them to get back out of bed. If my access route is locked tight and my um, wind direction holds the same all day long, then I can get down and come back, right? Uh, or, right. Or, I mean... I'm not, I guess I'm not an all day. I used to be, I used to hunt more uh, and sit all day, but I just, nothing has ever sold me on sitting from noon to two for some reason. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Awesome. Well, hopefully, uh, I'll, I'll try to, uh, use all that when I get out there. Yeah, bud. And, uh, Hopefully I'll be sending you a picture of me holding the big, whatever, 170 inch buck. <laughs> right. Now I would, I would like to say how, how rare are non-typicals out in Iowa? You know, it, it's, it's funny. You'll, you'll see them. I have never shot and I have a, I have a deer on my wall who has a, a split. I have some some small splits have, uh, some junk coming off the bases. But when you're think when I think of a non-typical, I think of like a big drop tine or a flyer out the back end or, or something not really gnarly. Right. I have no, I've never found a drop tine shed. I have one shed, uh, my whole shed hunting career, if you want to say it, that is a, it has a second kind of main beam that comes up. But other than that, just a very small, very small amounts of garbage around bases. Uh, and, you know, I've, I've never had a, a non, well, I take it back the last four years. I've kind of been chasing this giant who he, he's not, he doesn't have any drops. He's got a couple splits and some garbage, but he's not like the hole in the horn buck. You know what I mean? He's not, right. that, he's not that gnarly twisted drop. So for the most part, they're going to be typical frames with maybe some splits and some junk, but you know, I think it's, you know, in the areas that I hunt, it's kind of rare to see. Okay. Yeah. Cause down in Florida, I mean, non-typicals don't, aren't really normal either. Yeah. Uh, spent drop times or just anything non-typical for the most part. We have a lot of like standard, like eight points, nine points, and even tens aren't super common yeah. uh, for Florida, uh, at least where I hunt at. And uh, I always have like a thing where I was like, man, if I ever get to these states where a big non-typical is at or something that I'd love to be able to take a, just a non-typical buck with, like I said, like double drop tines or something <laughs> of that nature. Uh, but it just, it doesn't sound like it's that common there. No, no, I don't, I don't think so. 
I mean, I've, I've put in a lot of tree stand time throughout the years and, uh, I've, I've seen one, I've seen one buck with a drop tine my whole life hunting ever. And, uh, it ran by my stand at about 65 yards chasing a doe during the rut and I never saw it again. So now I've seen some split brows and, you know, some split G2s and, and, you know, maybe an inside point or junk around the bases, but nothing, just nothing too crazy. Got you. Yeah. Yeah. I was hoping maybe that would be, maybe there'd be some non-typical stuff out there, but sounds like, oh, it's, there, it's I mean, almost there is kind of like Florida. Yeah. Right. Don't, I mean, don't get me wrong. There's, there's that stuff out there, but just the area where I hunt and my experiences over the years, I've, there's not a lot of crazy non-typicals. Like for some reason on the farm that I hunt, it's nine pointers, right? You got a, <laughs> right. a, a four, four point and a five point. Right. And yep. that, that seems to be a lot. Well, now there's and 10 pointers and eight pointers, but nothing really more than that. Other than if, if it's, you know, this big mature buck and he's got junk now. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like places I hunt, like in eight or a nine is like it. Like I've got so many eights or, and nines that I have killed. Yeah. It's just, that's just what's there. Absolutely. <laughs> At least there's a genetic that's there. Absolutely. So I guess we'll see. Hey, good luck, man. So, and if yeah. uh, I'm, I'm not sure where you're hunting, but uh, if you need help uh, dragging one out, give me a call. Yeah, yeah, no problem, man. Same, same to you. If you need any help, if I'm close to you, um, I think I'll be kind of close. Do you know where uh, John Dudley's at? No. Over there in Iowa? Nope. No. Okay. Nope. I know it's kind of close to where he's at, like 45 minutes away or somewhere in that area, but it's it's zone five, so. That's all. That's really all I know for the most part, other than just name dropping exactly where I'll be at. <laughs> <laughs> and there you have it. Huge shout out to Chase. Huge shout out to you for taking all the time out of your day to listen to the Nine Finger Chronicles and the Sportsman's Nation podcast network, man. Thank you very much because without you, this isn't possible. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I don't say this enough, but I do want to send a big thank you out to all of the men and women who serve this country, whether you're a first responder or in the military or a police officer. Um, Man, I thank you for what you do. And hopefully where in your travels, this podcast can uh, bring a little joy into your day. The same with the rest of you. But also a huge shout out to all the partners of the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, and that is Wasp Archery, Ozonics, Vortex, Lone Wolf, and the Average Conservationist. Please go out and support the companies that support this podcast, and I'm telling you right now, they're all good companies who are all participants in hunting. So uh, they're all doing awesome things. Thank you very much for listening, and uh, be safe in your travels, and we'll talk to you next time.